is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I want to read you a letter, hot off the presses, from American First Legal, that was sent to the Inspector General of the United States Department of Justice today, Michael Horowitz. And when I get into the, the heart of the letter, you'll see why this is important. This is a letter that is written by or signed by Reed D. Rubenstein, Senior Counselor, Director of Oversight and Investigations, American First Legal Foundation. This is important. It reads as follows. Dear Inspector General Horowitz, American First Legal Foundation is a national nonprofit organization. Our mission includes promoting government transparency and accountability by gathering official information, analyzing it, disseminating it through reports, and so forth. Whether the president and agencies he directs, including the U.S. Department of Justice, respect citizens' rights and faithfully execute the laws passed by Congress are core AFL concerns. The Supreme Court has repeatedly recognized American parents' fundamental liberty interest in, the, in, in, in and constitutional right to control and direct the education of their children. On this basis alone, the nationwide protest by parents against public school policies and practices regarding critical race theory and indoctrination, anti-religious and anti-family gender ideology, and or forced online education and mass mandates are entitled to the most robust federal constitutional protection. Instead, the facts surrounding the Attorney General's memorandum of October 4, 2021, which we've discussed at length, suggest the Department may be committing federal law enforcement resources to inappropriately prevent parents from exercising constitutionally protected rights and privileges. Now listen to this. Listen to this. Our understanding of the facts is as follows. Bullet. Parents nationwide have protested public school policies and practices associated with, among other things, 
the teaching or indoctrination of K-12 students in certain principles of critical race theory and gender-related ideology. Bullet. Key Biden administration stakeholders, including the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, and others have combined to oppress, threaten, and intimidate parents to chill and prevent them from exercising the rights or privileges secured by the Constitution. To date, these efforts, though extensive, are generally proven ineffectual. Now listen, bullet. In early September, Biden administration stakeholders held discussions regarding avenues for potential federal action against parents with a key Biden Domestic Policy Council official, Jane Doe number one, and White House staff, John Doe number one. Stakeholders also held discussions with senior department officials, including at least one political appointee in the department's civil rights division, Jane Doe number two. Jane Doe number one, Jane, uh, John Doe number one, and others in the White House separately expressed concern regarding the potential partisan political impact of parent mobilization and organization around school issues in the upcoming midterm elections. Bullet, upon information and belief, at the express direction of or with the express consent of Jane Doe number one, Jane Doe number two, and other Biden administration officials, developed a plan to use a letter from an outside group as pretext for federal action to chill, deter, and discourage parents from exercising their constitutional rights and privileges. Bullet. Upon information and belief, in or about mid-September, work began on development of what became the Attorney General's Memorandum. Concerns expressed by department staff included one, the absence of federal law enforcement nexus and authority, which I have been pounding day in and day out, and two, the constitutionally protected nature of parent protests. However, Jane Doe number two made it clear this was a White House priority and a deliverable would be created. Bullet. On or about September 29. Do you folks remember that I said I smell a rat. You remember this, Mr. Producer? I smell a rat. This National School Board Association letter tells me they colluded with the Biden administration. I said it behind this microphone, and I said it on television. Well, voila. This is important. Bullet, on or about September 29, citing legal authorities, including the Patriot Act, the National School Boards Association made public a letter demanding federal action against parents citing authorities, including the Patriot Act. The justification for federal action included, among other things, parents were, quote, posting watch lists against school boards and spreading misinformation that boards are adopting critical race theory curriculum and working to maintain online learning by haphazardly attributing it to COVID-19, unquote. It is not yet clear whether and to what extent drafts of the letter were shared with Biden administration officials, including J. Doe number one and Jane Doe number two, and whether changes were suggested or made by them prior to the ostensible public release date. On October 4, that would be five days later, and that's what raised suspicions with me. But certainly I didn't have these details. The Attorney General's memorandum was made public. 
The short time frame between the September 29 letter and the Attorney General's memorandum suggests that either the entire matter was pre-coordinated and the September 29 but pretext, which I said, or that the normal clearance process and standard order both within the department, including legal sufficiency review by the Office of Legal Counsel, Civil Rights Division, Criminal Division, Office of Legal Policy, and other components, and between the Department and White House Counsel's Office and Office of Management and Budget were bypassed or corrupted. You see, the point of this letter is, in this, in this particular bullet, there's no way this could have been processed this fast. No way. If it was done legitimately. Bullet. On October 5, there was a follow-up call involving, among others, the White House Counsel's Office, Jane Doe number 2, and many other Biden administration political and career officials. The briefing included how to talk about equity initiatives to avoid liability for violating discrimination laws, and critically, to hide equity measures, initiatives, and action from Freedom of Information Act disclosure. The intention, it seems, is to evade public scrutiny of these Biden administration activities. Accordingly, remember this is written to the Inspector General, we request your office investigate whether the Attorney General's memorandum was formulated and issued based on improper considerations. At this point, the dangers inherent in the undue politicization of the Department's criminal and civil law enforcement authorities and in the corruption of the Department's standard order and process should be evident. Therefore, we thank you in advance for your attention to this important matter. Signed, Reed D. Rubenstein, Senior Counselor and Director of Oversight and Investigations, America First Legal Foundation. Further copied on this is the Office of Professional Responsibility, uh, the uh, Senator Dick Derman, Chairman of the Committee on Judiciary, Senator Chuck Grassley, the Ranking Member on, on Judiciary, Gerald Nadler, the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee in the House, and Jim Jordan, the Ranking Member on the House. Now, we know what the Democrats will do, but I'm reading this out loud. I just received this to alert the nation, to alert individuals on Capitol Hill who listen to this program, that this is an incredible, an incredible and devious and evil effort, a purely political effort to try and silence parents, grandparents, taxpayers and neighborhoods and communities throughout this country. Throughout this country. And I said last night on Hannity. Well, hold on now. Rather than saying what I said last night on Hannity, how about we come back shortly and you'll hear what I said on Hannity because my instincts as a former chief of staff to an attorney general were and are correct. And this is a blockbuster. It is a blockbuster. Because obviously American First Legal received information, internal information, which is why they're assigning John Doe 1, Jane Doe 1, Jane Doe 2, that they now have information. That in fact this was coordinated with the White House, the teachers unions, the National School Board Association, among others, and the Department of Justice, completely and utterly politicized. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Here's what I said last night on Hannity respecting uh, this move by the Attorney General in his memo. Go. You know, uh, Sean, I served as Chief of Staff to an Attorney General, Ed Meese, during the Reagan administration for some period of time, and it never would have crossed our minds to do anything like this. The Biden Justice Department is made up of Obama retreads, the same Obama administration that unleashed the IRS against the Tea Party, you might recall. These people do not believe in civil liberties at all. They do not believe in competition of ideas or competition, period. What Merrick Garland has done here is he's trying to create out of the FBI some kind of East German Stasi. That's what he's doing. Spying on parents, gathering intelligence on parents, tracking parents, a special phone number that they use to report domestic terrorists so a teacher who's offended or a school board member who's offended or a staffer who's offended can report a parent to their government. And the pretext here is some kind of widespread violence. There's no pattern or widespread violence. That pathetic letter written by the left-wing National School Board Association, they don't even provide a list of crimes that they think are committed. Moreover, the federal government has absolutely no authority whatsoever to even go in to a school board meeting, let alone a classroom. These are state and local matters fully. Local police can handle any violence. And I would remind everybody that the FBI did damn little when our cities were burning, when Black Lives Matter and Antifa were brutalizing people, were committing acts of larceny, were attacking our police. The FBI needs to get its act straight. So this is a pretext about widespread violence to intimidate, threaten, and suppress communities and neighborhoods all over the country to comply with the left-wing radical Marxist agenda, critical race theory, genderism, and anything else. It's a cabal of these thug teacher unions, these educational bureaucrats, these Marxist school contractors, and the Democrat Party and the Biden administration. They want to use the criminal division, the national security division, the civil rights division, the executive office of the U.S. attorneys, the FBI, and other entities within the Department of Justice, where they have absolutely no authority whatsoever. This memo that Garland wrote that could have been written by a third grader, he says in here, among other things, what do they want to do? They want to look at efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views? Why would you bring the FBI in for that? They're committed to using its authority and resources. They have no authority to do a damn thing here. They want dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting and so forth, so you can call up your government and report on a parent and send the FBI out to interview people. This is, I said, making the FBI into the East German Stasi. All right, let's stop there. 
Now, the letter today from American First Legal provides shocking information, specifics to what I was theorizing and underscoring. Again, to remind you, key Biden administration stakeholders from their letter, including the National Education Association, the American Federation of Teachers, and others, have combined to oppress, threaten, and intimidate parents to chill and prevent them from exercising the rights or privileges secured by the Constitution. To date, these efforts, though extensive, have generally proven ineffectual. In early September, Biden administration stakeholders held discussions regarding avenues for potential federal action against parents with a key Biden Domestic Policy Council official, Jane Doe No. 1, and White House staff, John Doe number one. Stakeholders also held discussions with senior department officials, that is, Department of Justice officials, including at least one political appointee in the department's Civil Rights Division, Jane Doe number two, Jane Doe number one, Jane, John Doe number one, and others in the White House separately expressed concern regarding the potential partisan political impact of parent mobilization and organization around school issues in the upcoming midterm elections. Upon information and belief at the express direction of, or with the express consent of Jane Doe number one, Jane Doe number two, this is the White House and the Justice Department, and other Biden administration officials developed a plan to use a letter from an outside group. That would be the National School Board Association as pretext for federal action to chill, deter, and discourage parents from exercising their constitutional rights and privileges. Upon information and belief, in or about mid-September, work began on the development of what became the Attorney General's memorandum. Concerns expressed by department staff included, one, the absence of federal law enforcement nexus and authority, and two, the constitutionally protected nature of parents' protests. But Jane Doe, number two, made it clear this was a White House priority and a deliverable would be created. And so on September 29, the National School Board Association writes its letter. Five days later, the Attorney General issues his memorandum. And then they hold a meeting afterward at the White House to discuss the the events that just took place. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the research arm of conservative media. Call in now, 877-381-3811. This memo, this conspiracy, this cabal, is one of the worst acts I've ever seen from the United States Department of Justice coordinating with White House officials. 
This is a shocking blockbuster story. It'll be ignored by the corrupt media, but it must not be ignored by anybody else. And the American people need to understand that at the direction of the Biden White House, an individual from the president's staff, an individual from his domestic policy council, and an additional individual in a senior political position in the United States Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, coordinating with others, set this entire thing up with the National School Boards Association. I told you I smelled a rat fink, and there's rat finks everywhere. You had two individuals who testified during the course of this week, the Deputy Attorney General and the Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights, both of whom knew what took place and intentionally misled the United States Senate, the Senate Judiciary Committee. Intentionally misled the United States Senate. At no time did they explain to those senators that this memorandum was the product of a conspiracy between the White House and the United States Department of Justice. That this National School Board Association letter was a pretext, a planned pretext, to unleash the full power of the federal government, unconstitutionally and illegally, against parents throughout America who dared to raise concerns about critical race theory and genderism and all the other issues and all the other poison being fed to your children. This is American Marxism. That's exactly what it is. And they do not intend to give up power easily and they do not intend to be challenged And they're out to crush you. Merrick Garland is a dishonorable, deceitful, radical Attorney General of the United States. In a few short months, he's demonstrated that he is the worst Attorney General in my lifetime, bar none. Bar none. He's the one who signed that memorandum. He knew exactly what he was doing. And I told you, as somebody who worked in the Reagan White House and as chief of staff to the Attorney General, there was no way that letter could get to the White House and get to the Justice Department and result in a memorandum that quickly without some kind of inside job. No way. No way. And now we know there was no way. The Department of Justice is beyond recovery right now. It is run by ideological radicals who will do anything, anything, to crush opposition. Anything. They are tyrannical. They are rogue. They are supposed to protect the First Amendment of parents in this country. They're not supposed to 
connive and try and figure out ways to prevent people from peacefully speaking and protesting. But that's exactly what they did. Goes all the way up to the highest levels of the White House and the Biden administration. All the way up. The teacher union thugs, as I said last night. The Marxist contractors pushing their Marxist agenda, as I said last night. The educational bureaucrats, including these these radical school board members, as I said last night. And the Democrat Party and the Biden administration, as I said last night. That is a cabal that seeks to silence parents about the education of their children. They're trying to federalize school board meetings. Federalize. There's no federal authority whatsoever, as I continue to say, and they knew it, and they still issued the memo to try and chill free speech. That's what they did. And this Merrick Garland signed the memo. Put his name to this memo. It's an entire inside job. You now have the federal government of the United States run by the Democrat Party and American Marxists using the power of the federal government to try and intimidate and silence Parents and grandparents and taxpayers trying to prevent them from questioning teachers' unions and elected school boards and superintendents. It's no accident. It's no coincidence that the National School Board Association was assigned to write this letter. It's no accident. It's no coincidence that the National Superintendent Association, or whatever they call themselves, immediately sent out a letter in support of it. It's no accident that the NEA and the AFT immediately endorsed what took place here because they were involved in it. They were involved in it. This is a a major scandal. This is a major scandal. What else are they colluding on? The decisions to try and destroy Donald Trump? What else are they colluding on? There needs to be an appointment of a special counsel. First, to investigate the Attorney General's conflict of interest where his family, through his son-in-law, is making millions and millions of dollars through school systems, pushing critical race theory, genderism, and all the rest of the crap. That's number one. Number two, the same special counsel must now investigate and put these people under oath to find out who was involved in the dirtiest of dirty tricks. Coordinating and conspiring, colluding, To send out a memo that had as its purpose, and they knew it had no legal authority, 
they knew it was unconstitutional, had and has as its purpose to attack the parents, the grandparents, the taxpayers, the American citizenry. As if it's the East German Stasi. This must be exposed. Every damn piece of it must be exposed. Every single person who was involved in this, in the White House, in the Department of Justice, in the teachers' unions, at the National School Board Association, and the rest, every single one of them must be exposed. They want to hold on to their power, you see. They said they're concerned about the midterm elections. They're concerned about the wildfire of parents pushing back against this American Marxism. God knows what they think of me, Mr. Producer. Probably have to look over my shoulders from now on. But you understand what I mean, America. Have you ever heard of an administration? Have you ever heard of a Department of Justice conducting itself this way? Ever? This is the same mindset that abused the FISA law over and over and over again. A law that's supposed to be used against potential foreign terrorists. Used it against American citizens. Used it against a Donald Trump campaign advisor. These are the same people who militarized the FBI. With a phony dossier. With their support from the corrupt media. New York Times, the Stalin, Hitler, Castro-supporting New York Times. Shocking. No administration should get away with this. None. They held discussions regarding avenues to try and silence what was taking place in school boards. They talked. A key Biden administration domestic policy official, a key White House staff official, a top political appointee in the United States Civil Rights Division, others in the White House, others at the Department of Justice. This is how you lose your country. This is how you lose your country. I'll be right back. And you watch. You watch how the corrupt propaganda press in this country supports this. They already supported the memo the other day. CNN and MSNBC. You watch. This is the greatest abuse of power I've seen since I've been in and around Washington, D.C. The greatest abuse of power. To try to attack the American public and silence them with threats for political reasons using the Department of Justice and all the entities within the Department of Justice, including federal law enforcement. There was a time when the New York Times and the Washington Post and these others would be appalled by this. 
There was a time when they would be the first ones jumping up in the White House press corps, NBC, ABC, and CBS, questioning the press secretary about such an abuse of power and demanding answers. There was a time when there were Woodwards and Bernsteins. Now they're frauds, in my humble opinion. Nothing like it. This is tyrannical. And the media should want to get to the bottom of it, but they don't. And they never will. Which is why a recent Gallup poll out today shows that they're at their second lowest ebb in modern history. And particularly Republicans hate their guts. Because we know who they are. Some of you, although not most of you, thought I was kidding about American Marxism. I wasn't and I'm not. I wasn't and I'm not. And I've been around too long serving in a presidential administration in various positions, including at the Justice Department, as you know, to just allow something like this to be a one-day story. This is extraordinary. Absolutely extraordinary. The unethical, if not illegal, conduct by the federal government under the control of the Democrats to violate the First Amendment of the United States Constitution in two respects, freedom of speech and freedom of association. These people are capable of anything. And they want to further empower themselves. And they have now used the United States Department of Justice the United States Department of Justice to politicize these events. Now, I can think right off the top of my head, you can't use federal offices, employees who are in the federal government on federal time, or any federal resources. You cannot use federal tax dollars, in effect, to advance a political agenda. So we have that as number one. We have that as a potential crime in multiple respects by these officials at the White House and the Department of Justice, including the Attorney General of the United States. And depending on the knowledge of the President of the United States, including him. You cannot misappropriate federal offices, federal equipment, machines, computers, federal time, labor, and misappropriate that for political purposes. That's at least a start. That's the bottom. That's the bottom. There needs to be a special counsel now. The Attorney General of the United States has demonstrated himself to be corrupt. Corrupt in the sense that he participated in this, in my view. Signed the document, did he not? He signed the document, did he not? He had to be advised. 
did he not? This didn't just happen. As the letter from American First Legal points out, this started in early September. So this was going on for about a month. The plotting, the planning, the strategizing, ultimately the tactics. And as this this letter points out, they developed this plan to use a letter from an outside group, quote, not the usual suspects, unquote. So in other words, not from one of the union thugs, but from the National School Board Association. That was a nice twist, wasn't it, ladies and gentlemen? That added a nice flavor to it. Nobody ever heard of the National School Board Association, and there they are coming out with a preposterous letter. Preposterous letter. We called it. We called it here. That that letter specifically looked like it was a setup letter to serve the ball to the Department of Justice. It's an inside job. An inside job. We need to get to the bottom of this. We need to know everybody who was involved in this. People need to be questioned under penalty of perjury. This, to me, if not the greatest, one of the greatest scandals of modern times, to try and silence people in neighborhoods and communities, parents and grandparents and taxpayers and Americans generally. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 381 3811. Representative Barbara Lee today. And this is what the American Marxist does. They, they accuse us of who they are and what they do. I just spent an entire hour explaining to you really a, a shocking event. Shocking involving the federal government and the Democrat Party, their unions, and the rest of them. Here's Barbara Lee today. Cut four, go. This president has been fighting from day one very hard on behalf of the American people. Now, what I have to say is this. People are uh, really more familiar with the last four years in terms of dictatorial autocratic rule out of the White House by uh, Donald Trump. Uh, and, And so this president has been trying for the last 10 months to make sure that he brings the country together on behalf of everyone in our country and the agenda that he campaigned See what a damnable buffoon and propaganda she is? She's certainly not alone. She's certainly not alone. So Donald Trump, dictatorial autocratic rule. You know, there is a long piece in the Associated Press now And the Associated Press has gotten increasingly dishonest and unreliable. By Mary Claire Jalonik, Eric Tucker, and Colleen Long, report details Trump's all-out bid to undo election results. 
This is the Senate Judiciary Committee. It's the Democrat Majority Report. They dismissed the Republican Minority Report in a very snide comment. And Associated Press is really the biggest press operation in the world, given its wire service power and reach. And so it goes on and on about Donald Trump, how he tried to reverse the election, how it was tyrannical, on and on and on. Um, and how it led to January 6th, and 600, more than 630 people have been charged criminally in the riot, the largest prosecution in Justice Department history. Think about that, by the way. Think about that. When you read what the FBI and the Department of Justice did to Trump with Russia collusion, with the FISA court, with all that stuff, the leaking to the media, when you listen to what I discussed the last hour, how the Department of Justice is colluding with this White House, the Democrat Party, the unions and others to try and silence the American people, you can see how corrupt all this has become. The Democrats' report chronicles Trump's relentless prodding of the, of the Justice Department during a turbulent search in December and early January to investigate suspected voter. It goes on and on and on. It talks, it talks about people that were interviewed. Uh, and then as for the Republican report, you have no idea what's in the Republican report from this piece. Nothing. They don't tell you. So the Republicans didn't go along with the majority report in the 50-50 Senate. They issued their own report. And that report is not discussed in any significant way. It's the Democrats' report. Chronicles Trump's relentless prodding of Justice Department. Escalated it after the election, particularly after the December resignation of Attorney General Barr, who weeks before he left the White House told the AP the department had not found fraud. And they talk about the acting Attorney General, Jeffrey Rosen, and things that he said, and that he felt pressured. Then they trashed some guy, who I don't know, by the name of Clark, who took positions opposite of Rosen. Uh, and then, uh, let's see. And then they say, besides Clark, Trump found another ally in Representative Scott Perry, who has disputed the validity of Biden's victory in Pennsylvania, called Donahue last December to say the department wasn't doing its job with respect to the elections. Well, it wasn't. In that case, that was a federal constitutional issue. That was a federal constitutional issue that several justices wanted to take up. So the Associated Press is writing this, again, from a, from a perspective that is the perspective of the corrupt propaganda media. Absolutely no time is spent on the substance of the, of the Republican Report and it's all the regurgitation of the Democrat report. And the attack on Representative Perry is utterly unrelated to all these other issues, but related to a federal constitutional issue, which is a serious issue and a very important issue. Um, so uh, that's the Associated Press. That's the Associated Press. 
The Associated Press either will ignore what this Department of Justice did, as it claims to dig deeply into the Democrat report that says what the Department of Justice did and what Trump did months and months ago, or it'll spin it. Or it'll spin it. People who don't listen to this show or, or don't watch Fox and so forth, they'll have no idea what's going on. They'll have no idea what's going on because of how corrupt and propagandistic the media in this country have become, which is a, a horrific disaster. And so here we have a Democrat, Barbara Lee, who's a nut job in her own right, going on about how Trump was dictatorial, di- dictatorial and autocratic. When this is what we see coming from this administration at every turn, particularly now. Particularly now. The lawlessness with the border, the lawlessness and the way they're trying to push their massive spending through and so forth and so on. What they did in Afghanistan, which really is a sin, absolutely horrendous. And what they're doing now to try and silence parents. I want to point out something else here, ladies and gentlemen. The so-called whistleblower from Facebook. Again, I am blessed to have you in this audience, but I know why you're here, because I don't follow the crowd. I think for myself. When I started to dig in and see all the contributions she made, some of the great conservative websites had pointed that out, and that she was an AOC supporter and her hard left ideology... As much as I detest Facebook, I didn't allow that to cloud my ability to understand what's taking place and to reason. She's no whistleblower. She's an activist. Dressed up as a whistleblower. That's what the Democrats do. They call their radical activists whistleblowers. She's no whistleblower. She stole all the documents, gave them to the Wall Street Journal. I've said again, I smell a rat. I'm not, I'm not going to come to her defense, and I'm not going to use her to attack Facebook. Facebook should be attacked on its own. You remember that, Mr. Producer? You may not have been here. But, America, you remember that. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not jumping in with her. Because people act emotionally, including on our side often. Well, now she's going to testify, you see, ladies and gentlemen before the January 6th committee. She's going to testify in front of the January 6th committee, you see. And she's going to explain how Facebook and others, of course, led to, the, uh, led to what took place on January 6th, allowing all these Neanderthals to post all their thoughts and their comments and get them all worked up and that sort of thing. This is from uh, CNN. The Facebook whistleblower released thousands of documents that she says shows the company knows its platforms are used to spread hate, violence, and misinformation. Is expected to meet with the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol as soon as Thursday. That's today. Three sources with knowledge tell CNN. Frances Hogan, a former Facebook product manager, she was there two years, with stints at several other big tech companies, went public with an appearance on 60 Minutes and testified before a U.S. Senate committee. 
They're also interested in hearing from her, CNN has learned, as she could provide insight into how Facebook was used to ultimately facilitate violence that occurred at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. So they'll exploit her, and she wants to be exploited because she has an agenda. On Monday, House Intel Chairman Adam Schiff, who's serving on the select panel, tweeted that the select committee will need to hear from her and get internal info from Facebook to flesh out their role. According to this Facebook whistleblower, he said, shutting down the civic integrity team and turning off election misinformation tools contributed to the January 6th insurrection. And so they'll continue to call it an insurrection. They will continue to use this to smear anybody who doesn't support their agenda. Anybody who doesn't support their agenda. That's what they'll do. And that's what they're doing now. And he got two props on that committee, Cheney and Kinzinger, were more than happy to, to participate in it. This woman has nothing to do with January 6th or anything of the sort. She's just the latest, the latest drama that they want to bring in front of this committee. Again, there's no committee on Black Lives Matter and Antifa and the riots and the murders and all the rest that took place. And that tells you a lot of what you need to know. And again, the Speaker of the House would not allow the Republican leader to appoint the Republicans he wanted on the committee. She refused to seat them. That tells you where this committee's going. This committee is not investigating the Speaker of the House's role in failing to have the kind of protection at the Capitol that was needed. And the fact that she turned down the National Guard that was offered by Trump and the Trump administration, they won't be investigating any of that. They won't be subpoenaing any of her texts, any of her emails. They won't be compelling her to testify. So the whole thing is a fraud. But you need to think for yourselves, as you do in this audience, not go along with the crowd, even when it's on friendly TV or friendly radio. It was very suspicious this whistleblower, with all her contributions, with all her embracing of, of radical political types and so forth. And, uh, and I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I mentioned a little earlier this Gallup poll. They say America's trust in the media to report the news fully, accurately, and fairly has edged down four percentage points since last year to 36%, making this year's reading the second lowest in the Gallup's trend. In all, 7% of U.S. adults say they have a great deal, and 29% a fair amount of trust and confidence in newspapers. 7% a great deal. Newspapers, television, radio news reporting, which combined is four points above the 32%, Record low in 2016. These findings from a September 1 to 17 poll, the latest in Gallup's tracking of the public's confidence in key U.S. institutions, which began in 1972. Between 1972 and 76, 68% to 72% of Americans expressed trust in the mass media. Yet by 1997, when the question was next asked, trust had dropped to 53%. 
Now, trust in the media, which has averaged 45% since 1997, has not reached that majority level since 2003. After hitting its lowest point in 2016, trust in the media rebounded, gaining 13 points in two years, mostly because of a surge among Democrats amid President Donald Trump's presidency. Since 2018, however, it has fallen to a total of nine points as trust has slid among all party groups. Partisan trust in the media continues to be sharply polarized. Currently, 68% of Democrats. Why isn't it 100% of Democrats like the media? I mean, they are one and the same. 11% of Republicans. 31% of independents say they trust the media a great deal or a fair amount. The 57-point gap in Republicans and Democrats' confidence is within the 54- to 63-point range for the two groups since 2017. Because the media served the, the interests and the agenda of the Democrat Party. While both Democrats and Independents' trust has slid five points over the past year, Republicans has held steady, yeah, steadily low. Historically, Republicans' confidence in the accuracy and fairness of the news media's reporting has not risen above 52% over the past quarter century. At the same time, Democrats' confidence has not fallen below the 2016 reading of 51%. For their part, Independents' trust in the media has not been at the majority level since 2003. So, for Republicans and Independents, there's great distrust of the media. For Democrats... There's mostly trust of the media. Now, what does Gallup conclude from all of this? They say just as Americans' trust in the three branches of government is faltering, so too is their confidence in the fourth estate, the media. Confidence in the media among Republicans over the past five years at unprecedented lows. After brief recovery, trust among Democrats and independents early in the Trump administration, their, their trust has fallen off a little in recent years. And, of course, Democratic trust remains well above where it was before Trump came into office and made attacks on the media, core message of his presidency. It wasn't a message of his presidency. I mean, the Trump presidency and, the, and Trump himself had to defend themselves <laughs> against the media that tried to destroy him, that, that worked hand in, in glove with the FBI intelligence agencies, and other elements of the, uh, of, the, of the Obama administration. I mean, that should be abundantly clear by now, shouldn't it? Abundantly clear. People want to know, why the hell did Mitch McConnell agree to this deal at all to extend the... Why did he agree to extend at all the, the debt? Increase the cap on the debt. I am told two reasons. The rhinos among the Republicans started the buckle. And next week, the National Republican Senatorial Committee, which he controls, is having huge fundraisers at the Breakers Hotel in West Palm Beach. And neither McConnell or the Republican senators benefiting from that event for those events, those fundraisers, uh, wanted to miss next week. That's what I'm told. That's how seriously McConnell is running the, uh, the ship on the Republican side. 
And by now, at least mentally, you should be calling out the phony reporters, including business reporters on radio and TV, who keep talking about how we, we managed to avoid a default. There wouldn't be a default. We have $44 billion every month, unless, of course, Washington specifically chooses not to pay its bills, which is unconstitutional. So there's no default. I'll be right back. Yes, it's true that Mark Levin is the fastest growing radio show in America. The Mark Levin Show is on at 877-381-3811. Just to show you how unbelievable this administration is, what a fraud Joe Biden is and was to get elected president of the United States. From our friends at Post Millennial. Biden nominee removes thesis on Karl Marx from her resume. Removes her thesis from Karl Marx on her resume. I talked about this woman before. Um, She's a Marxist. She's a flat-out Marxist. On Tuesday, Biden's nominee to head the Office of the Control of the Currency... Sally Amarova removed her thesis on Karl Marx from her resume. According to the Washington Free Beacon, Amarova listed a paper titled Karl Marx's Economic Analysis and the Theory of Revolution in the Capital on her resume as recently as 2017. Senator Pat Toomey, the ranking, ranking member of the Senate Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs Committee, demanded she hand over a copy of that thesis in a letter written on Tuesday. He said the committee needs to fully assess the fitness of individuals to serve in Senate-confirmed executive and independent agency positions. She reportedly wrote that thesis while attending Moscow State University. I pointed her out two weeks ago on a V.I. Lenin personal academic scholarship. On a Lenin personal academic scholarship. But the curriculum V-Day, the CV, viewed by the Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban Affairs did not list that paper. Toomey demanded that she hand over the original Russia language thesis in an English version if it exists to the committee no later than October 13. Remember, the Democrats run the committee. He said, to ensure there is adequate time for translation and review by lawmakers, my committee staff reached out to both you and staff at the Office of the Controller of the Currency requesting a copy last month. Unfortunately, we've not received any assurances that the committee would receive a copy of the paper in a timely fashion. I wonder why. I wonder if the paper's a problem, Mr. Producer. She probably slobbered all over Marx. What would would cause a Democrat Party administration to nominate somebody like this? Many of you listening to this program, not most, but many, are Democrats. Isn't it time to leave your party? Isn't it time to leave your party? Amarova received criticism for comments. She appeared sympathetic or supportive of the Soviet Union era policies and values. Quote, until I came to the U.S., I couldn't imagine that things like gender pay gaps still existed in today's world, she wrote in 2019. She wrote, 
say what you will about the old USSR, there was no gender pay cap there. The market doesn't always know best. The Soviet Union, there wasn't a gender pay gap. There was genocide. I mean, unbelievable. In a paper titled The People's Ledger, Amarova advocated for ending banking as we know it, which garnered backlash from Toomey. Ms. Averona has called for radically reshaping the basic architecture and dynamics of modern finance, including nationalizing retail banking and having the Federal Reserve allocate credit. Is this not shocking to you? I think it is. I mean, I know, we get hit with one, two, three, five of these every day, but this is the administration. This is the administration that wants you to believe that this guy's a moderate, that people who oppose them are white supremacists, and so forth and so on. But don't call them Marxists. No, 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 call them progressives. That's a Marxist right there. That's an out-of-the-closet Marxist right there. Now, what kind of a person would nominate somebody like this if they didn't embrace these ideologies? Exactly. We have got to call this what it is, whether the New York Times, the Washington Post, our neighbors, our friends like it or not. They've got to understand what's swirling around. Now, I know I take abuse, and I'll take more abuse over this. I don't care. It doesn't matter. This isn't, ooh, progressivism, ooh, activism, Ooh, democratic socialism. No. No. When you use the word Marxism, most people reject the word Marxism. They don't like it. They're familiar with all the hardship that goes along with it. And when you say American Marxism, you're being very particularized, and that's very important. Because that's what's taking place here. This woman isn't a socialist. She's a Marxist. She has an agenda. I may have told you this once, but several years ago when I was reading so much of Marx and Engels, I came across something that was rather interesting. Marx detested quote-unquote socialists or quote-unquote democratic socialists. He detested them. Because he said, they're not true Marxists, and they're preventing the revolution by watering down what it is that he was trying to do and what it is that he argued for. And what has been done in our country, in particular, is people like Bernie Sanders and others understand you've got to change the language. You're not going to persuade people in the most prosperous country and freest country on the face of the earth, at least it was, to surrender their liberties to Marxism. And so now if you bring up Marxism, they try to ridicule you, they're white supremacists, you're of the far right. I got it. All the character assassination that goes on. I got it. But so what? So what? In order to understand what we're dealing with, in order to understand this poison, in order to understand how it works, we have to at least have the guts to call it what it is. And that's what it is. 
And here we have this individual, specifically nominated, specifically nominated, the controller of the currency, who I would argue is a Marxist, not a democratic socialist. And it ought to draw everybody's attention. What kind of administration, what kind of a president would nominate somebody like this? Or nominate somebody like Assistant Attorney General Clark to run the Civil Rights Division when she's a bigot. And this is the sort of appointment, these are the sort of ideologues Joe Biden has put throughout the government with the help of Susan Rice and the help of Ron Klain and the help of others who work behind the scenes to push this agenda. Just as they do with the teachers' unions and the school boards and everything to silence the American people. This is who they are. Did you ever think you'd see the day when somebody who was on a Lenin scholarship, what was it? Lenin, Lenin scholarship to the University of Moscow. Let me see here. Lenin scholarship. The Lenin personal academic scholarship to Moscow State University that she would be nominated to run the office of the currency to be the control of the currency and apparently wrote this big deal on Karl Marx and then excludes it from the information she provides the relevant committee that determines and votes on whether to confirm her or not and uh it was apparently in the Russian language originally. Original Russian language. Thesis. And uh, the Republicans, through Toomey, are demanding a copy of it, and they haven't gotten it yet. And by my calculation, it's October 7th, and they wanted it by the 13th. They wanted the original Russian language thesis so they can have it interpreted themselves, as well as in the English version. So far, they haven't gotten it. And she's praising the Soviet Union over the United States over the gender gap. The gender gap. I'll be right back. Lovin. Let's go to Brett Henderson, Texas XM Satellite. Brett, how are you, sir? I'm great, Mark. How are you? I'm all right, sir. Thank you. Mark, I won't take up a lot of your time. First of all, I wanted to thank you, because if this uh, republic survives, I think you'll be written kindly about in history. Uh, Thank (laughs) the Lord that there's guys like you that, with that kind of intelligence and stamina, that you're willing to stay in the fight. So, you know, man, we love you down here. We just appreciate what you're doing for us. I, I wanted to call in real quick and share with you. Yeah. Uh, I'm a teacher in East Texas, and, man, I, I I wore out liberty and tyranny in my classroom. I mean, I'm a science teacher. I've, I've taught about everything, and I coach. But I, it would amaze me all the time as I take excerpts from liberty and tyranny, and the kids would always be, uh, well, Coach, where's that come from? I've never heard of that before. Oh, and, that's and great. And so it was exciting to see their eyes because, honestly, in my coaching career, uh, probably the, the predominant 
uh, young man that I've had the privilege to coach is probably been African Americans, right, and uh, and white kids, and so it's always amazing to see their eyes light up when they see new knowledge and and you give them the truth, and so man, I'm just I'm excited about you, excited about your new book, and I'm dying to get that in some of their hands as well, and you know the good thing about truth is you don't have to. You don't have to play games like the left does. You can just spoon feed it to them straight on, and they love it. So, well, yeah, you don't you. you don't need to get it. I'm going to send you a signed copy. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you passing on knowledge to these young men and women because uh, that's what it's all about—not uh, radical anti-American ideology. And I want to thank you very, very much, Brett. Don't hang up. We'll get you a copy, Cheryl. The great WMAL. How are you, Cheryl? I'm good. How are you, Mark? Very well, thank you. Good. Thank you for talking to me. Um, Mm -hmm. What I wanted to talk to you about, I'm in Loudoun as well, and Mm -hmm. this is with all the school boards, um, and our local school board here, save a couple. Anyway, um, I pulled up our sample ballot, Mm -hmm. and we have three amendments, one of which is for... um, it says it's A, B, C, D, and other facilities as requested by the school board. I've always voted yes to those amendments, and I'm considering voting no. Now, would that do anything? I mean, as far as those people have too much money. I agree. I've written, I've written the Board of Supervisors. Of course, their budget's already passed. I don't think the There's Board of Supervisors... There's six to three uh, Democrats and very radical Democrats, as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So anyway, um, the question, I want your opinion, and then after I get your opinion, another quick comment. Voting no, is that going to do anything to uh, help get well, I don't money know, out of Well, I don't know, but it hands? seems to me they have enough money, considering... Uh, uh, what they did last year, which is almost nothing, and considering now they're turning their uh, political guns on the very people who pay their salaries and pay for those facilities. And that's when I started contacting the Board of Supervisors, but it was after April, and mm-hmm. the budget had already been sl- We're going to uh, run out of time, so what is your next point? Okay, real quick, not a question. My beautiful, dear, deceased dad, Bald, a friend gifted him with this little statuette that said, the Lord is just, the Lord is fair, to some care. And, Mark, we are so glad you have the brains to help us with this stuff. Thank you. <laughs> oh, geez. You're very, very sweet. Thank you. Thank you all, folks. I very much appreciate it. Let us go to Irene. Oh, we only have 30 seconds. All right. Well, we'll get to Irene eventually. All right, folks, we got another powerful hour ahead, the final hour of the program, so don't leave us. I've got a lot to get to. And I think a lot that will intrigue you. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, So, I went to the uh, food store today, 
to get a copy of the New York Post, which is a great newspaper. And on the cover, in addition to Beauty Can Be a Beast, uh, there was Biden's tax on the middle class, $175 per month. I'm sure you've heard this. True cost of inflation on average American family. Now, $175 a month is over $2,000 a year. Something like that. Or about 2000 a year. And they're just getting started. Real cost of inflation. They have a whole section on here by the editorial board, which is outstanding. 175 bucks a month. That's the hidden tax the average American household is paying for the Biden economy. Some of this is indeed transitory, as the Fed officials like to say. I would suggest it's not. I would suggest it's not. I don't believe it is. In fact, I believe it's going to get a lot worse. I know it's going to get a lot worse. And uh, they have some examples. A 12 back of Pepsi last year was $3.33. Today, $5.95. Now, these are things that most people consume. A dozen grade A eggs, last year a buck 25, now a buck 50. Pringles, a can of Pringles. Buck fifty last year, buck seventy now. But look how fast these prices went up. Pop tarts, two bucks last year, two twenty five now. A one steak sauce, four dollars and seventy five cents last year, five bucks now. Let's see, Folgers ground coffee, seven dollars and ninety five cents last year, eight dollars and eighty cents. Kraft Philadelphia cream cheese, three dollars and fifteen cents last year, three dollars and forty cents now. Dove Body Wash, $6.75 last year, $7.50 now. Ajax Cleanser, a buck last year, two bucks now. Want to hear more? Meow Mix Dry Cat Food, $4.25 last year, $4.85 now. Kibbles and Bits Dry Dog Food, $10.50 last year, $10.75 this year. One pound of ground beef, $4.27 last year, $4.51 now. A pound of boneless chicken breast, $3.39 last year, almost a buck more, $4.24 this year. One gallon of whole milk, $3.38 last year, $3.93 right now. Biden wants to spread another $5 trillion, as the New York Post writes, as if the economic laws of inflation don't exist anymore. All that government money will drive up prices even more. And just take one proposed program, a $6.8 billion initiative, to give low-income first-time homeowners up to $20,000 for a down payment. We talked about this yesterday. Not alone, just free money. As demand increases even more than today, the price of homes and then of rents will skyrocket nationwide with free money. Not our problem, say the Democrats. Nothing spending even more money down the road can't solve. Biden likes to argue that the tax increases to pay for all this spending will hit only the rich, but inflation is a tax. A merciless one that's already hitting Americans hard. The price of fuel. Let me make a sad prediction to you. 
If this keeps up, we're going to have long lines for gasoline. It won't take much for OPEC to do that to us, or the Russians. Last year, this time, we were energy independent, thanks to Donald Trump's economic policies. We're no longer energy independent. The Biden administration is begging OPEC, the Arabs, not to raise the price of oil. And they're also talking about using the strategic reserve. The strategic reserve will not bring down the price of fuel. And it's there for an emergency, not for politics and not for PR purposes. But there you go. That's Biden and his crowd. Everything they touch, they destroy. Everything. I can't think of a single thing in this country that has improved since Biden has become president of the United States. I can't think of a single thing. And they're, they're like a juggernaut dragging us and pushing us to the edge of the cliff. I know of no economic theory, none, that says when you have already spent and printed Trillions and trillions of dollars beyond anything known historically. And the result is the worst inflation in 30 years. That you should spend more. And print more. I know of no, no economic theory that supports that. None. Because there is none. So this is a disaster, these people. They have to be stopped. And so when I saw that Mitch McConnell caved even into December and like what the hell is his problem now what is the problem can't these Republicans ever get their act together here's the technical thing that's going on here just so you know the parliamentarian oddly ruled that the Democrats can can come up with three reconciliation bills, and they've already used two of them for massive spending. So they have one left. And so a reconciliation bill, they have to make a decision. Do they use the reconciliation process to spend all these trillions of dollars, or do they use the reconciliation process to spend all these trillions of dollars and raise the debt ceiling? And Schumer does not want to include the raising of the debt ceiling within the spending of the money. For a couple of of reasons, propaganda reasons. Number one, he doesn't want it to be said in these Senate races coming up that the Democrats raised the debt ceiling and only the Democrats. They want to be able to say the Republicans did too. And number two, they've been lying all along saying we need to raise the debt ceiling to pay for past expenses. You know, the Trump administration, which of course I've explained is a lie. You raise the debt ceiling for future spending. You're borrowing on current and future spending, not past spending. You pay the debt service for past borrowing on past spending. So they don't want to tie the two together because they've been lying about that all the time, saying, no, 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 this is about Trump and we've got to pay the past bills and we're not a debtor nation, you know, all that stuff. So they want to bifurcate the debt ceiling increase from their massive spending. 
And another thing is when they increase the debt ceiling, they don't want to have a number. Two trillion, three trillion, one trillion. They want it to be open-ended. So whatever they eventually agree to, they can borrow. So up till now, the Republicans have said no. But then Mitch McConnell says, all right, you can do it for two months. Now, for months and months, the Republicans have held the Democrats to the line. And then McConnell, and I understand some of the rhinos, buckled. Buckled, and then are going off next week to the breakers in West Palm Beach to raise money for the National Republican Senatorial Committee. That's, that's what they're doing. And so, as all this goes on in Washington, D.C., most Americans don't have any idea what's taking place, do we? No. And the media just want them to get it done. Get it done, support the effort, do that sort of thing. Just get it done. Because the media support a massive deficit and massive spending. But my point is you're taking a lot of, you're hearing a lot of lies from the media and from the Democrats who keep talking about we will default if we don't raise the debt ceiling. One more time, let me try. Raising the debt ceiling relates to future borrowing on future spending. The debt service is $44 billion a month. I know, I looked it up. And we take in $320 billion a month, so there's plenty of money to pay the debt service every month. Social Security is separate. Social Security gets paid. Medicare is separate. It gets paid. Federal pensions are separate. They get paid under the 14th Amendment, as do the veterans' benefits. I've said it so simply that any idiot business or economic reporter on radio or TV should be able to comprehend it. I'll be right back. Mark Brian Mast is a very wise man. He's an American hero. Uh, he's my congressman in Florida, as a matter of fact. And uh, it's always a pleasure to have you on the air. Congressman, how are you? I'm uh, frustrated, sir, as I know you are as well, on a host of different issues, but proud to talk to you. All right. Thank you. First of all, we hear that the, uh, that the suicide bomber that, that killed 13 precious American military personnel, as well as well over 100 Afghans, was an ISIS terrorist who was released from the Bagram prison. Is this correct? This is absolutely correct. Uh, and, and there's a really important compare and contrast that every American needs to be making right now between President Trump and President Biden. So this, this terrorist, I'm not even going to say his name because it should never be said, this terrorist was handed over to us by India because he was captured trying to, to bomb uh, uh, a location in New Delhi. He was turned over to our CIA and put in lockup back in 2017. So President Trump made him a candidate for waterboarding, was able to extract ISIS targets from him, and use him to kill terrorists. The only thing that a terrorist should be used for is to be used to kill other terrorists. That's the only thing they're good for. President Biden released the same guy, and he was able to now kill Americans. That's 
the compare and contrast that every American needs to see on the way those two presidents operate. And yet it, it, we, it's so strange, Congressman, because there's no accountability. The media don't seem to give a damn. Um, we still have Americans over there in enemy territory. We still have SIV visa holders, you know, Afghan patriots who fought side by side with men like you. And it's as if, uh, ho-hum, let's move on to the next issue. Isn't this shocking? Well, we have that, but beyond that, that you see every single day, is we have folks like Saki and Biden himself and the Secretary of State Blinken and, and, and the generals out there saying, no, no, we, they're still saying, well, we didn't leave any Americans behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was our commitment, and we held to that commitment, and it was a strategic success. I, I don't know how you say it was a, any kind of success when we lost 13 U.S. service members, and there was uh, 60 to 70 Afghanis killed at the, at the exact same time, but they, they labeled that as a, as a strategic success. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the point that they're clinging to, and the media is happy to go out there and repeat their talking points for them over and over and over again. You know, I want to raise an issue with you. This is communist China. They are threatening Taiwan in ways that uh, are extremely provocative. Um, they've obviously saw what happened with uh, Afghanistan. They do not think Biden has what it takes to stand up to them. Um, they're extremely aggressive right now, uh, and it's each and every day. The Japanese look like they're beginning to uh, to to build up or, res- or, 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 or respond to this uh, in their own homeland. Uh, the Taiwanese are doing their very best. There is a joint task force of, uh, of ships now over there in the uh, South China Sea uh, with us, with the Brits, I believe with the Australians and so forth. Uh, what do you make of this? Unfortunately, I have to agree with China that President Biden doesn't have the grit to stand up to this. But, but the, the most important question is why? And the why on that is because he's a political windsock. And the politics on their side refuses to allow them to support freedom, whether it's in Taiwan or whether it's for Tibet or whether it's for Cubans. And I would take you back to a hearing that we had on the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, in Congress where we spoke about this. Uh, And let's give some specific examples. Tom Cruise in his new Top Gun movie, he had to take off two Taiwan patches off his bomber jacket because China was offended. That's what the the political left believes in. They can't offend China. Uh, One of the wrestlers, John Cena, he was promoting Fast and Furious 20 or something like that, a movie out there. He had to apologize in Mandarin for calling Taiwan a country. This is the politics of the left. And Biden being a political windsock, he has to follow on that, which means he's not going to cross China, especially when it comes to Tibet. And the follow-on point on this, you know, we're Americans. We fought battles and wars during the Cold War endlessly to stand up for freedom. What happened to that commitment to freedom today? And, you know, uh, you look at the Secretary of Defense, who you're all familiar with now, and uh, you look at the head of the Joint Chiefs. I'm not convinced that they're capable of it. Are you? No. uh, Afghanistan is the most leading example of what we have for military leadership 
analyzing the intelligence, making decisions, and deciding to go with a plan of action that resulted in catastrophic failure, greater than probably anything that we've seen since, let's say, the Bay of Pigs, for sure. So Mm -hmm. would I say I have confidence in that? Absolutely not. I mean, the head of the the communist Chinese military, you know, they got their calls from Millie. He wanted to make sure that they weren't concerned that the U.S. might do anything. You know, I had Gordon Chang on my show the other Sunday, and he said that call went all the way up to Xi. Our commander-in-chief didn't know about it, but theirs did. And that sent exactly the wrong signal to the communist Chinese. That is, uh, that um, in the case of Millie and so forth, we were concerned about what they think about us. And I think he's right, don't you? I, I would take that analysis to the bank and, and offer this uh, from pop culture. Everybody remembers the old movie The Godfather and Michael Corleone's brother Fredo taking mm-hmm. sides against the family. And he, and he told him, never take sides against the family. And, and our family is America. Our family stands up for freedom. Our family stands up for our homeland, number one, especially at those, high, those highest levels. And, and to, to step outside of our American family to communist China that doesn't give uh, a rats anything about us, that's, that's uh, the backstab like I've never seen. Let me ask you something, because we're about to hit a hard break. If people want to support you in your election, because there's always tough elections in this district, where do they go? Mastforcongress.com. I appreciate you asking. Mastforcongress.com. M-A-S-T for Congress.com. We can't lose this, man. And if I have anything to do about it, we won't. Mastforcongress.com. Congressman, thank you, my friend, and God bless you. God bless, sir. He's great. He's terrific. We'll be right back. Mark Levin, the George S. Patton of Talk Radio. Call him at 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. Ladies and gentlemen, more people have died of the coronavirus under Joe Biden than Donald Trump. ABC News barely reported this. Everyone else ignored it. This is what the data shows. More Americans have died from COVID-19 this year than from the virus in all of 2020, according to newly updated data from Johns Hopkins University. More than 353,000 COVID-19 deaths have been reported since January 1, compared with 352,000 in the first 10 months of the pandemic. And of course, Joe Biden had three vaccines to work with, three vaccines to work with, which were developed under Donald Trump's watch, Operation Warp Speed, and same with the therapeutics. Now, as we've said here before, Joe Biden said that every death that occurred as a result of this virus was Trump's responsibility. That's what he said, essentially. And notice, not a single death is Joe Biden's responsibility because he's demanding that people wear masks and get the vaccine. 
Well, far more people are vaccinated now than they were a year ago when we didn't have a vaccine. And so what about that? One of the reasons he's demanding mandates, as I've explained in the past, is so he thinks he can get a pass. So the same kind of vicious, vile attack that he used against Donald Trump, he believes he will immunize himself, so to speak, so it can't be used against him, but it should be used against him. Every sleazy tactic that was used against Donald Trump should be used against Joe Biden. So more people have died in 2021 than in 2020. And 2021, as you well know, isn't even over yet. It's not even over yet. And then, of course, our friends at the Daily Wire reporting... 2020 saw the largest spike in homicide in 100 years. So, based on Biden's logic, he's responsible for that too. According to new data put out by the CDC yesterday, 2020 saw the largest spike in homicide rates in over 100 years. Between 2019 and 2020, homicide rates jumped by about 30%. Experts say it's one of the largest recorded increases in American history. In 2020, the homicide rate was about 7.8 homicides per 100,000 people, an increase from roughly six homicides per 100,000 in 2019. The only larger increase since we've been recording these data occurred between 1904 and 1905, um, and uh, that was due in large part to better reporting, according to Robert Anderson, head of mortality statistics at the National Center for Health Statistics. So, we can thank Black Lives Matter, we can thank Antifa, we can thank the Democrat Party and its mayors and its governors, and now we can thank Joe Biden, and of course Merrick Garland, who didn't feel that he needed to put out a memo about this, did he? Look what's happening to your country, under these bastards. Look what's happening to your liberty. Look what's happening to your property. Look what's happening to your civil liberties. Truly shocking. Absolutely shocking. All right, let's take a few more calls. Ready? Here we go. Miles, New York City, the great WABC. Go. Thank you for taking my phone call, Mark. Let me tell you first one thing. Out of my four daughters... The second oldest went to Columbia. She got successfully architecture, but she got so brainwashed that she's the only Democrat in, the Repu- in our family, and she's going to get your book wrapped in American flag for a Christmas gift. Now, to my point, uh, I came from Germany 30 years ago, considering myself New Yorker, but I was 25 years in my youth living in a totalitarian regime, and my mother was communist. She was a Vice principal of school, later on principal, but during the years, she was on the same level as a male vice principal of the school who was having the other half of the school. She was for the, for, for the fifth to ninth grade, and he was from the first to fifth grade. His paycheck was much bigger than hers. She was as a kid, I had so many times complaining that he's so, getting so, more money. So much for the communism where there isn't gender uh, inequality, according to the 
communist that's been nominated for the uh, currency position. I appreciate your point, Miles. Don't hang up. We'll send you an American Marxism copy. I appreciate it very, very much. Let us continue. Peter, Burlington. Is it Burlington, Connecticut or Vermont? Burlington, Connecticut, sir. I didn't even know there was one. All right, my friend, XM Satellite, go right ahead. Mark, it's a great privilege to speak with you, a long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks. 20-year educator in the public school system here. Mm-hmm. And I remember in 2016 when Donald Trump won, thank goodness, a lot of my friends in my circle, very few in this profession, were ecstatic. And I said then, this is only the beginning. They're going to double down. This education where we work is the last front. They're going to assault us. And clearly they have. And here we are with your book, which is on my desk, currently at my, in my office. And I just continue to encourage and implore people, you need to wake up. You need to start thinking differently. You need to start listening to other points of view because they are coming for us with the CRT, with the mandates, and, and whatnot. And I've turned that into my own school board where I live, showing up, speaking out, you know, thanks to you and everything you, you say on your program. Religious listener every night. Thank Can't you. thank you enough. And I just wanted to call up and, and just say thank you. There's more of us. We're, we're starting to speak out, and your voice is huge. We appreciate it. Please keep speaking. Please keep writing. And, you know, well, there, we're not you. all kooks out there. No, but not in the least. We're dealing with the kooks. And I just hope more and more people read this book. Honestly, American Marxism. I just want people to understand. Look at the comments on Amazon.com. We've never seen anything like this before. Almost 17,000 comments, five stars. And uh, look, we've, we've met the goal I wanted to meet, over a million. We're headed to 1.1 million. But that's not the point. The point is to spread the word. To spread the word. Like the pamphleteers during the revolution. And before the revolution, spread the word like Thomas Paine. This is the pamphlet. You're the Paul Revere's. It's crucially important. It just is. I can't say it any better than I say on this microphone or on TV and certainly in the book. The book lays it all out. Let us continue. Let's go to Ray, Phoenix, Arizona on the Mark Levin app. Ray, how are you? Hi, Mark. This is Ray. Thanks so much for taking my call. And I want to just tell you that to me, it's like getting a Ph.D. in life listening to you. And I really appreciate all that you do. Thank you. Uh, But I wanted to uh, make a few points. Of course. Of course, Mark. I wanted to make a few points. Uh, I was listening to part of your program, and I always listen to it in the morning. And what the Democrats are doing is absolutely insidious. What they do is what I would call asynchronous warfare. They keep getting these issues out there, whether it's the coronavirus or Afghanistan or the border, to keep churning and mixing it up and creating all the things that you talk about in your book, American Marxism. This is to wear us down. It's to create a -a whack-a-mole situation where we just get weary of it and give into it. We can't do that, Mark. I listen to you every day, and I'll tell you, everything you say has come true in just about every way. And I just thank you for what you're doing, and please keep the work up, because we need you. 
Well, you're very, very kind. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not going anywhere. But it depends on the good Lord more than it does me. Ray, I want to thank you, my friend, very, very much. Don't hang up. And we want to get you a copy of American Marxism, too. Now, before I go to the break, I want to wish Fox a happy 25th anniversary. I've been on Fox as a guest since, I'm guessing, 1997, 1998, Hannity and Combs, as I recall. That's like 23, 24 years ago. And uh, it's been a great honor to be part of Fox in recent years with my own television show. But uh, I don't know what we would do without Fox. And I want to thank Mr. Rupert Murdoch, number one on the list, Lachlan Murdoch, his son who's uh, carrying the torch, and uh, Suzanne Scott, who I've come to know, and I think she's absolutely fabulous. And she is the CEO of the Fox uh, News Channel on, on the side of the Fox News Channel where I work. And she's been nothing but supportive. And I should tell you, she is the one who enlisted me to do a program on Fox. And she had faith in me. And uh, almost every uh, Sunday night, we are the top-rated show on cable news. And that's because of you, my fantastic radio audience. Uh, But I cannot thank uh, uh, the Murdochs, and I cannot thank Suzanne Scott enough. I'll be right back. Let us continue. Meredith, Long Island, New York, the great WABC. Hello, Meredith. Hey, Mark, how are you? Okay, thank you. So um, up until June of this year, I was a board member on the second largest school district on Long Island. I've always had the children's best interest in mind, and I was a very instrumental part in getting them all back to school every single day instead of that hybrid crap we had. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I ran for re-election, the teachers' union put up three people against me, three people who really weren't all that interested in children and three people who... There's no reason they should have won against me except that they had the union money and I had my own money, and that was it. Pathetic and and by the on. way, the unions are doing this more and more, where they're trying to take over school boards, get majority status on these school boards. Um, they're doing it in every state now. This is part of their uh, strategy. And so you have a situation where you have union members on the board making decisions about union members' contracts and making decisions about... Um, your children and what they're going to be instructed. And so this is also what Joe Biden wants. And also, I read to you folks uh, uh, a piece from the uh, New York Post the other day in which if you look at what they're doing with this massive bill, among other things, they have billions and billions of dollars for left-wing community organizing groups, the purpose of which is to set them up for elections uh, where they have an army of basically federally paid uh, precinct workers. Uh, they were also um, expanding, um, you know, what you can do in terms of spending money uh, to retrofit buildings and homes and so forth, but only if you're a union member. So really, uh, Biden and the whole operation are filled with thugs. It's just, it, this is a thug administration. 
This is a hardcore Marxist operation. I will keep saying it till the day I die, and I don't care. Nobody's going to intimidate me. And you have these, uh, these thugs that run these, uh, these teachers' unions who think they own these communities. And there they are conspiring with the White House to shut down the parents and the taxpayers. So, Meredith, first of all, I want to thank you for having stood up to them, and I'm sorry they were, uh, they were able to uh, get you removed, but maybe it's time to remove many of them. Uh, don't hang up. I want to get you a copy of American Marxism. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Glenn, Phoenix, Arizona. How are you? Hey, Mark. I'm doing well. Uh, glad I got to talk to you again. So one thing you've been hitting home at for probably the last year or two is changing the nomenclature. And mm-hmm. I, I'll be very honest with you. I, American Marxism, Marxism selling a million in three months. I figured we'd get to a million, ah, six months, nine months, right? Mm-hmm. So what it tells me is you're changing the nomenclature and keep doing what you're doing about the East German Stasi. So the fact that, uh, that, that Merrick Barlin is sicking the DOJ and the FBI on us, it's telling us that we're winning and we're, we're, we're catching ground here, brother. And I believe that you're, you're at the focal, you're, you're, you're at the focal, you're, you're the, you're the, the, at the point of this spear here and you're helping us. I mean, you're changing the nomenclature. You've been talking about this for about a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly when you started bringing this up. But keep doing that, brother, because it tells me the fact that they're using the East German Stasi on us. They're, 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 they're must be fearful of what's going to happen next year. I'm talking about at the polls, mm-hmm. that, that we collectively are going to just start speaking. But that's what it is, brother. Just I have a couple uh, copies of American Marxism. Uh, what the teacher said earlier from East Texas, the, the older gentleman, he was saying about giving, lib- giving away liberty and tyranny. I do that all the time. I mean, I spoke to you about six months ago, and I said I... I try to give out your literature to people because, as that, that teacher said, that when they hear some of this stuff, they've never heard it. We know them. They don't know us because they don't study us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's where it is, brother. I don't, I don't use progressive or any of that stuff. I use American Marxist. Oh, you're an American Marxist. They look at me kind of crazy. What? What do you mean by that? Well, well hold on. Because I told you this when I called about six months ago, and I speak about being a Latino. It's not cool to be Republican. They've shaped the culture. Remember Andrew Bipart said uh, politics is... Glenn, I got to go. You're absolutely terrific. Don't be a stranger. Call again. Absolutely terrific. Let's get you a signed copy of American Marxism. Folks, the more people who haven't read it and the more you spread it, the more confident I am we will claw our way back. We salute all you heroes out there, and I will see you tomorrow. God bless and be safe.